research can be scary. If it's not done well, it can create a lot of false positives and false negatives. Not everyone can write the right questions, write them in a way that leads to the right answer. And it's a, it's a skill. If you're at all curious what it's like to start an ad agency at the worst possible time, this might be the podcast for you. That's because I started one last year and my God, it is hard. So what I'm doing is I'm talking to people who have found success in our industry and then applying what I learned to my own life and business. If it doesn't work, I'm screwed. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, It's Tim, as you know. I think today, before we hop into the episode, one thing I just want to talk about is, you know, my mood a little bit and how that impacts my job and I'm sure other people's jobs. When you're having, you know, personal stuff come up or you're feeling tired or you're just feeling like shit, it can be hard to stay motivated to, you know, get out of bed sometimes and to feel confident with the work that you're doing, particularly in a creative field where you're putting yourself out there and, you know, hoping ideas are good. So I don't know if I have much to say. I definitely don't have advice about it. I don't know what to do about it. Um, But I think this is just all about sharing and kind of letting you know what's going on with me and, you know, some personal stuff happened and that's always tough. And, you know, I can get down and and that can um, infiltrate a bunch of other aspects of my personal and professional life. And so I think it can definitely, in my case, uh, have an impact on gush or a perceived impact on gush. And, you know, I guess all I'm trying to say is I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. And if you know me, you know that, you know, I, I can struggle with this stuff sometimes and it's normal. It sucks, but... It's normal, and you know, my dad uh, told me one this one thing one time that has always resonated with me, and it's this too shall pass. And you know, if it doesn't feel like it's passing, then there's resources to get help. But you know, I think oftentimes, if you could just keep in perspective that shitty stuff doesn't stay shady forever, um, and you can just look back on past evidence of how you felt shitty before, and now you feel better. You know, I think that's that's helpful for me to keep in mind. So yeah, I guess that is a little bit of advice. But um, just trying to accept that stuff sucks a little bit right now and, you know, gush is great and I just have to keep kind of showing up and, and trying to do a great job. Anyways, sorry for the downer, but I do have a good episode here with Josh Cole. By the way, that sound is this puppy, my friend's puppy, that is just the worst. This has nothing to do with marketing. I hate... See? I hate that dog. I hate that dog so much. Oh my God, I hate that dog. Um, anyways, the uh, the guest today is a guy named Josh Cole, and he is the CMO for Skyzone Trampoline Park. And we had a really good conversation, uh, particularly around the importance of data and how data can influence marketing decisions and and why that's great. So um, I'll just let you guys hop right into it and hope you enjoy it. Josh Cole. So what does a CMO do? What's their purpose? You know, I think ultimately the purpose of a CMO is similar to any marketer is to drive demand. And that's what I boil it down to. Like a marketing department has to drive demand for the products that the company is selling. But the CMO has the extra role of, you know, being the, the top person setting the strategy, uh, but guiding a team. And um, I like to remind myself that the best leaders get things done. 
uh, through their teams. They're effectively managing their team, hiring good teams, making sure they're cohesive and working well together, and then guiding them. So depending on uh, the role, you might have uh, 150 people on your team, or you might have three people on your team. But whatever that team is, you've got to guide them uh, along the path to generate demand for your products. And, and what sort of mistakes have you made along the way into being a better manager of teams at the CMO level? I made one of the classic mistakes that uh, I think a lot of managers make, which is that uh, I, I held on to a few people too long. And, you know, you get emotionally attached to your employees. In the case, like in the case that I'm thinking of that's in my mind right now, I was very emotionally attached to someone who um, was a single parent and uh, had been there in the early days when I was growing a business and was great, was a really hard worker. But unfortunately, the world got more and more complex and this particular individual didn't really keep up with the complexity and what's worse, gave that person a lot of stress and anxiety and created some uh, absentee issues. But out of loyalty, I covered for that person. And in retrospect, it really wasn't good management, neither for that person nor myself. And so I learned through that uh, very hard process of um, firing that person, but it was the right thing to do. And uh, interestingly enough, that person actually uh, thanked me later. It's kind of a, a cliche story, but actually thanked me because I set her free to go do something that was more uh, appropriate for her. That was one of the really big learnings: is that uh, you know you got to hire well, but you got to uh, you got to adjust your team. Uh, that and delegating. I mean, those are two cliche things. But uh, when you're a solo operator and you're used to doing everything yourself, learning mm-hmm. to delegate is really really hard. It's it's, a, it's easy to say and hard to do. Right. Uh, yeah. No, I I struggle with that stuff too. But one of the interesting things about you, and I think like this is sort of where the industry is heading now and continuing to head is like bringing things in internally. Have you guys always been in an internal marketing group or have you worked with agencies in the past? What sort of that setup? Over the last uh, 20 years of my career, first was at Universal Studios and then went to Skyzone where I could be the CMO, smaller company, but bigger opportunity. And in all those cases, I had a hybrid model where some of the stuff we did internally and some of the work we outsource. So now currently, for example, we have a graphic designer on staff, but we have more work than that designer can handle. So we also outsource some work to agencies. Copywriting, we try to do some of the copywriting, copywriting ourselves, but simply don't have the capacity to do some of it. So we'll sometimes hire uh, through an agency, uh, a freelancer or something like that. So it's usually, usually a hybrid. Do you have like uh, like an agency partnership, or is it sometimes going through an agency to hire and work with individuals more like uh, freelancers? We do both. Uh, we do have for SkyZone a few agencies of record, like for media buying, mm-hmm. we have an agency of record. We're good friends with them. They're very kind. They said, why don't you work directly with our, our writer and just give the person some freelance work? So we're able to continue working with her uh, with the blessing of the agency. So uh, that's one of the benefits of working with a small agency. I've always had small budgets. So I've always worked with relatively small agencies and that creates more of a camaraderie. Right, right. Absolutely. I like that. And I like that in that situation. What drives you crazy about working with the agency that isn't good and what makes the agency good? Yeah, you know, and sometimes the agencies start good and then wind up not being good. Right. uh, So to speak. And when I think about a few situations where we had to um, exit a relationship with an agency, the most recent one I can think of, their client service progressively got worse. And what started out as really good client service got progressively worse to the point where they were uh, like, you know, arguing with us and debating with us. And we're not always right. And I, I don't believe the client's always right. In fact, you hire an agency to get outside opinions and to create a level of uh, a competence you don't necessarily have in-house. But sometimes a client has to, you know, be able to push back on things or after things. And they got a little um, uh, stubborn, you know, I had to pretty much give a warning. And they sent the team in to meet with us 
face to face. And when they came in, they actually started debating us on some of the stuff that we told the, the company leadership. So that's it. We don't have time for this. We're just, you know, we're not here to hold your hand. So we let, let the agency go. But I've seen also in the, in the ad buying world, there's a cliche, the set it and forget it mentality, where sometimes mm-hmm. you start out with a lot of customer service and the agency is putting a lot of attention to your campaigns. And after a while, they start focusing their attention, at least from my perspective, on other clients who come in newer ones. And then your campaign gets a little bit of a second uh, focus, you know, afterthought and it becomes a set it and forget it. And we can't have that. We need to have an agency that's really focused on the business and is adaptive and uh, thinking about it on a regular basis, not just uh, hoping you don't ask a lot of questions and going on their merry way to work on something else. So it sounds like a big thing is like the client relations part, which makes sense, but it's uh, what's going right with the agencies that are going, they're doing, you have a great relationship with, I guess. Even the one that I mentioned that we had to get rid of, we had worked with them productively for a few years. Mm-hmm. So there was a little track record of success before they started taking their hands off the wheel. So I do think it's that client relationship to, su- to summarize that point that, that ends it a lot of the time. Uh, but when things are right, I think that the collaborative relationship is really key because I think the client has to recognize the fact that they're hiring an agency for expertise or to solve a problem they can't do in- internally on their own. But the agency has to recognize the fact that they have to take inputs and they have to be flexible and that both sides have to be collaborative and speak their mind and kind of reach a higher ground together. And when one side is too stubborn or too demanding, it creates um, some negativity and it creates problems and it probably spirals from there. But the positive side, uh, it's when you're working together to achieve a common goal and you're checking your egos at the door and you're trying to do your best and you're listening to each other. All right. I'm about to ask you a really unfair question because it it might be kind of difficult until it puts you on the spot. So if you don't want to answer it, all good. But I'm going to give you $50,000 in a startup. And as a marketing guy, what do you do to, as you said, create demand? I have been in a situation where new marketing lead comes in and all guns are ablazing and they got ideas and they're going to do this and do that. And the people who are there, myself included, are always put off by that. She's like, well, we've been here for like four, you know, four years building something and take the time to figure out what's working, what's not. And I'm not saying it's all working, but like, you know, figure that out before you start making changes. So since I've been in that, that side of the table or that side of the relationship, I am always very aware of the fact that if someone new coming in, you want to pause, listen, ask questions and assess. So before I spend a nickel of that $50,000, I would very much be in assessment mode as I would hope any CMO would be. And that assessment is both about the uh, the internal team, where where's the team strong, where are they not, where are their gaps, but also about the customer. So what do we know about the customer? And sometimes, you know, when I've talked to people in the startup world, I've done a little consulting on the side or I have some friends who are doing startups ask me my opinion on things. I notice that a lot of times there's a strong confidence in the product and I've got this great uh, item is going to solve a problem, but okay, what kind of customer research have you done? And at least in the cases that I've been involved in, there's been very little, and there isn't really a true understanding of what the customer wants or needs. So I would just say, based on those experiences, probably some of that fifty thousand dollars would go to really understanding what do our customers, who are our customers, what are their needs and expectations, and are they being met or not by current products in the market, and where are their gaps, and where can we fill those gaps? So I'd probably use some of the money to do any research that doesn't exist to answer those questions. And from there, knowing the customer and knowing where they are, that would probably guide where the rest of, let's say that takes $10,000. The other 40 would probably be guided from the, my assessments of the customer and then the team. You know, so you got to figure out who the customers are, where they're getting their information, and then adapt from there. 
amazing answer. Let's talk about the research process and data collection. I know you're a big data guy. So I'm curious, what's your process? Do you work with an outside firm? Is that really expensive? What does that normally cost? What do they do? What sort of questions do you need to answer in order to create an informed opinion about how to win? How's that process go? Yeah, I, I am. Thank you for noticing that. I, I take I take pride in that, that I try to be as data focused as possible and as customer focused as possible as I think that marketers uh, should always be. Um, in my current job at SkyZone, given the size of the company, most all, if not all, the research that we do is through an outside uh, firm. So we were working with an agency that specializes in customer experience research, for example, and they helped us really dig into what are our customers? Who are our customers? Like, what are the key segments of those customers? What matters to them? So you got to figure out what do the parents want? What do the kids want? What do they like? Are we meeting their expectations? So we worked with an agency to figure out the question, those type of questions. But also along the way, we would use that same agency to field some quick studies. If we were going to make a change or offer a new product, we would use some of their tools they had. Um, at the same time, we've also done some really in-depth surveys like we safety is very important to us. We were trying to figure out how do the, our customers, our guests, as we call them, um, rate us compared to our competitors in terms of safety? Do they feel like they're, they're in better hands when they come to our parks? We call them parks or locations versus our competitors or, or not. And if not, why? And what is it that makes them feel safe or not? So we hired um, actually a different agency to do some qualitative studies. So do some focus groups of uh, both the parents and then some of the um, younger guests and ask them those questions of, of of about around safety and how are we doing vis-a-vis our competitors? Our process is we have to do some research to inform the strategic positioning of a company and then build the brand out of that. The challenge is, you know, we don't have a lot of existing customers. Maybe we don't have a lot to go off of outside of creating hypotheses about who we think they are and then doing some mostly qualitative research with, with a agency. And then if we can afford it, quantitative research. But like when you're advising a startup, that isn't where SkyZone is, hasn't even launched really. How do you advise them on that? I think that, that research can be scary and that if it's not done well, it can create a lot of false positives and false negatives. And I think in the hands of amateurs, it can be kind of scary because you have a lot of biases and we can do confirmation bias. You ask the questions in a way that are misleading or lead, people, lead the jury. So I believe that research is best left in the hands of a professional. And there are a lot of freelancers out there who have customer research experience and either start their own one-person shop, two-person shop, or, or bigger. So I always advise to find someone like that. And, and uh, you know, I know quite a few people, and frankly, they're, they're fairly easy to find, too, on LinkedIn or probably even if you go to Fiverr, for that matter. Um, so I would say you find someone who's cost-effective, who can provide the survey. That's, so when you do research, you have the survey, which are the questions are asked. Mm-hmm. I really feel like the, the, it's, worth, it's, like it's worth being a great copywriter if you want really good copy. Uh, everyone thinks they can write their own, but they can't. Not everyone can write the right questions, write them in a way that leads to the right answer. And it's a, it's a skill. So I would hire, I would advise hiring someone who can advise on the right questions to ask and then advise on a couple of methodologies. So usually those advisors or those uh, researchers can say, here are three different methodologies. I recommend A, but you can also do B and C. And roughly speaking, here are the different costs for it. And then the client can figure out what's the right, uh, the right level. And some of them can be done very, very in, inexpensively. You can go to an online group and uh, just get a survey out pretty quickly. Okay, so in, in that case, 
just to understand the difference between working with a freelancer directly and maybe an agency as a whole, why not work with a freelancer directly who you know is good and knowing that they're going to work on it, not any junior people or anything like that. There's no inflated fees or costs. Why go with the agency then instead of just a freelancer directly? We go with an agency because they have different people on staff with different skills and they built tools like online communities and uh, some online moderation tools. They just bring more research, more resources to bear. And if you're going to work with that agency over the course of a year, they have a lot of flexibility. But if there's a one-off study, like in the startup case, we're doing like, okay, we just need this one question answered right away. Is this, is this product viable? Is there demand for it? You know, it probably is cost-effective and better to go to, in the case of a startup who's on a budget, to get a, a consultant or a freelancer to do it as a one-off project. And there are a lot of agencies. There's an agency that we use uh, sometimes, SkyZone, which is probably a, you know, three, four-person shop. And it's someone who left a larger agency after many years and started his own agency and has some junior uh, researchers and analysts on his team. And they can do quite a bit with a three, four-person shop and do it a lot cheaper than a, than a big agency. So we, we actually give him uh, quite a few projects as well. All right, cool. That's helpful. So that's actually something that we need to do. And so definitely appreciate being able to pick your brain on it. So there's this section of the podcast that's uh, just about to be a little icebreaker where I... As a creative, I pitch ideas at you that I came up with in five minutes. So they're pretty shitty. And what you need to do is you need to rank them on a scale of one to 10. I'm going to rapid fire throw them at you. So let's go. It's called Son of a Pitch. Son of a Pitch. So obviously you guys have a Sky Zone, you know, like kind of sports leagues, dodgeball, that sort of thing. But what if you like treated it like it was a professional thing, like a la the real dodgeball? It made a little mockumentary about it. Like two teams are way too intense. I like it. In fact, we've done something like that before. So I've got to give it a pretty good score. Nice. Give me a number. Uh, I'll give that an eight. All right. Nice. Doing well. Okay. This is called Watch It Bounce. (laughs) This is, uh, this is to show off like how, like high you can jump and whatever. And like the quality of the trampolines from of the highest point of the sky zone, you throw different things off of it, and then a super slow motion camera just watches it go and then bounce off. That's it. I'm gonna give that a, a, a four. I was almost gonna go lower, but then I started thinking like maybe you could do something really funny, like things that you might not think you're gonna bounce. Oh, for sure. Like a very, you know, like a, a bar of gold. Yeah. Um, I'm, gonna, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give it a five. Okay, cool. I think it's a solid five. I feel good about it as an okay idea. All right. So, uh, different innovations have come into dance, right? Like rollerblades and like people do different things or kind of gimmicks, but it's cool. There's that group, the Jabberwockies. I don't know, some influential like dance group or whatever. And what if like you almost treated it like a dance concert, but you had them create, like, have you ever seen the music video with uh, the treadmills that OK Go did? Yeah, I love that one. It's yeah, cool. it's great. Like it's essentially that, but with trampolines. I love it. Yeah, we're always looking to do fun stuff like that. So if we got the right people doing something creative and, uh, you know, kind of wacky. Yeah. Uh, sure, great. I'll give that a, a nine. Good. And, like, all you would have to do, seriously, is set up a camera. It doesn't even have to be a good one. And hire, like, a super talented group of dancers. Bam. You're done. Uh-huh. All right. So we got a nine. That's good. Uh, all right. Next one. Um, <laughs> All right. This is crazy. So I saw on your website that there is, uh, it might be new, but like it's sky zone for night owls, right? Like you guys are open late now. 
and you know, a big part of your target is still kids and like, you know, parents are involved in making those decisions. And so, you know, like mothers against drunk driving, Mm-hmm. What if you have mothers against sky zone as a group that you kind of like create almost as a joke and they launch a campaign against you guys because they're mad because their kids want to stay there late. Well, you don't know the background of it, but we have some moms who get kind of angry about uh, things. So because it hits a little close to home, it would be so, it would be so funny. Cause like, it's just, I don't know. It's a great way to like, be like, we're open late. We tread on thin ice. Cause we've got some, uh, some customers who, who get a little mom, a little anxious about things as, as parents are. Is that like a two because it's not very strategic? Yeah. Well, now that it's not strategic, I don't think we would ever do it given the nature of our business. So I would give it more like a, you know, a three, but if it were a different business where it wasn't as safety oriented, maybe it would be higher. Okay. We'll call it a three. There was a three in there, an eight in there, a five in there, a nine, a nine. in there. I'm a not a math guy. I think that's like a pretty solid seven. Um, I'm going to crunch the numbers later, but like somewhere around there. Um, kind of the the way I like to end and stuff like that is just giving you a chance to tell me any little nugget of advice, anything that you would want to leave me with. You've had a lot of experience in the marketing world. I'm trying to get this agency off the ground, whatever you want to leave me with. I've never gotten an agency off the ground and it's admirable that you're trying to do it. So I would be uh, full of crap if I told you I had really good advice on that in particular. What I do advise folks on when they ask for advice is in the marketing world or advertising is to be broad based in your knowledge. You know, we live in a world of specialization where someone could be, you know, 10 miles deep in SEO or 10 miles deep in the mechanics of programmatic advertising, whatever it may be. But I think really to be successful and climb the ranks in a corporate world or to have a, a, offer the best service you can to your agencies, you need to have that specialty skill, but it needs to be rounded out with a broad base of knowledge. So you can reference more things. I mean, you know, you talk about funny and you're, you're using humor as one of your, your hooks. Like to be really funny, you know, you need to be able to draw on a lot of different source material in ways that you, you know, you, you mush that source material together in unexpected ways that creates a lot of funny stuff. But you need to have a lot of source materials and great comedians can draw, it seems to me, on a lot of different things. And I think that good executives or good agency leaders, probably the same, they, you can draw on knowledge of finance and draw on knowledge of different industries, draw on knowledge of what different marketing campaigns have worked or not, and not just think about advertising all the time. Because I've noticed on LinkedIn, which I have a love-hate relationship with, I see people who are like obsessing about campaigns and talking about the campaigns. And like, they're always focused on campaigns. I feel like you can go down a rabbit hole just looking at other people's ad campaigns. But I feel like you're better off learning about other aspects of marketing and just even other aspects of, of business in general. It can be finance. And then to be able to draw on all of those things in order to provide your clients with the best pitches and the best solutions uh, to know about customer research and to understand the mechanics of customer research so that you might go say like, look, you know, we need to bring somebody in. It's not my forte, but I can bring in this person, that person and help. So to be, to be broad based, to be able to offer more uh, solutions is really good. And then as you grow your agency, you know, you gotta be a great leader, you know, toot my own horn a minute. Like one of the things I'm really proud of in my career is I've had very low turnover on my teams. Um, even when I was at companies where there was a lot of turnover happening around me, my teams in particular had low turnover. And I realized as I'm older and I reflect back my career, it's kind of unusual and uh, something, something that makes me feel really good. And I think about that. And uh, a lot of it came from one, hiring the right people, but then providing really good leadership. Easy for me to say that sounds a little self-serving, but provide the right type of leadership that keeps people engaged, makes them know that their best interests are being, are being uh, 
kept in mind that their development is important and that helps create that longevity. And that's really important. I think if you want to have a successful agency, you want to hold on to great people, especially in the agency world, there's a lot of a lot of movement, right? People change agencies all the time. And I think when you have something good, you want to hold on to them. Hit me really quick with uh, some leadership advice. Like what are the specific things that you do and bring to the table to make somebody feel valued or like you have your their best interest in mind? I like to think of it as, you know, it's kind of like baking a cake. There's an analogy. You need the right ingredients. Otherwise the cake's not going to taste good. So you got to make good hiring decisions, obvious comment, but uh, not just skills, but personality and cultural fit to me are really important. You want to find people who mesh with the team and not mesh in a way that, oh, they're all going to get along and be best friends, but mesh in a way that you can challenge an idea or have your idea challenged and you can have a conversation about it. So I look for a little bit of, of uh, that type of um, lack of defensiveness, a little bit of uh, you know self-awareness that you can acknowledge that your ideas aren't always the best, but also have the ability to challenge other people in a smart way, not in it, not be a, a jerk about it. So I think that type of mix of people is really important, the, the cultural mix. Uh, doesn't matter what their background is. I don't care where they're from or anything like that. It's just that the cultural, the cultural mix has to be there. So that's the important part and then the skills. And then from there, you really have to lead by example. If you want to have the team act in a certain way, you have to model those, those traits and you have to live by them. Uh, and then two, I think it's really important that you truly care about your people. And, uh, you know, not everyone does. Some people pretend to. And I think you see through it pretty quickly when it's pretend. Like, you really have to take seriously the thought that if, as the leader of the team, the leader of the agency, like, you are responsible for people's livelihood. And you're responsible for making sure that their careers are as successful as they can be, whether that's with you for a long period of time or they move on. And you have to really think about that as one of your top priorities. And so understanding the person as an individual, understanding where they want to go and really trying to help them develop. And then for me, something that's been very important is um, you're taking the time to really care about them as a human being, that they're uh, like some of my team's house hunting. And so, you know, ask, how's it going? And provide some tips of like, look, when I was house hunting, here's something that worked for my wife and I, and here's something I learned in the mortgage process. And if I happen to read an article that's relevant to that situation, send them the article. So really to be there to help them achieve their goals, whether that's a personal goal or a a career goal. So I think it's a lot thrown at you all at once, but I guess the, the key point of all that is to genuinely have that person's best interest at heart. And that is a big part of the battle. You really gotta, you really gotta uh, take that on as your, as your responsibility. Well, thank God I'm not a sociopath. That would be, yeah, that would be hard. God. Um, anyways, man, thank you so much for hopping on. It was super helpful. Um, we hey, can I ask you a question. Yeah, for sure. Does anyone ever ask you a question? Is that okay to do on a podcast? Yeah, you can do that. Yeah, I'm always curious about why people choose to do what they do. So I know from your background and you got into copywriting and the agency side, you now since went and formed your own agency, but like, you know, copywriting seems to be your passion. Yeah, how'd you get into it? What drives it? What do you love about it? So actually copywriting isn't my passion. It's ideas, like great original ideas are are my passion and you know, you have to pick either being a writer or an art director in an agency setting. So I just went, I didn't know how to use Photoshop. So I was just like, I'll be a writer. I've like, as I've gotten better at it, like I enjoy it more, but it's really interesting that you asked that question because we're actually going through the process of right now, we're just a comedy ad agency and we say funny makes money and it's a great positioning. People get it right away. We sound different but we're getting hired to do work that isn't comedy. So we're trying to take a step back and really figure out, you know, what's my why 
as you do with any brand. And I do what I do because I love creativity. I love coming out with ideas. I love being able to make something. And I love specifically advertising because of the, the challenge of having to do that with a business problem and a smaller box. And it's harder, I think, to make a great ad campaign than it is to make a great movie in a lot of ways, just because there's so many more people involved a lot of the time. I don't know. I like the challenge of it. And the bar is pretty low um, in terms of advertising, which is, which makes it exciting. Cause I feel like I could beat the stuff that's out there and be successful. But like, in terms of like the, why I exist, I think is it comes down to just being obsessed with honesty and authenticity and wanting to bring that into the advertising world where 96% of people don't trust ads. And that feels exciting because it's a really big opportunity to, to make an impact. And I, I genuinely think honesty is the best policy pretty much always. That's kind of like what we've, what we're arriving at, like the positioning of, of the agency 2.0 a little bit, where we'll still do comedy, but really it just comes from a place of, you know, finding the truth, making sure every idea has a strong insight behind it, but then living and breathing that honesty, always asking for feedback in order to get better, wanting to know the truth about your performance internally, radical candor. I'm thinking about something as crazy as like not having hidden salaries. Like everybody knows what the salary is. So it's like, we believe in equality, but like, we'll show you that we do. Just what are all the ways that we can have complete transparency where others maybe don't? I would love to know how that goes because I I read about that. I know some companies are doing that and great articles advocating for it. And I thought, you know, I really see the benefits, but I see some potential downside too. I do too. As a team leader, but also as an employee, frankly, um, you know, so I'm really curious to know, I don't know anybody who's been in that situation of like a purely transparent salary situation. So if you do that. It's, it's absolutely insane. It might not work, but like, why not try it? You know? And it's just like three of us, they're more full time. And then we have freelancers, but I don't know. It's just like, it's like, you know, that you're not like, I feel like if you're just like very structured with like, if this is your title, this is how much you're making. You know, if, if you're making less than somebody, there's a reason for it. And we'll make, Mm -hmm. we'll make sure it's like really obvious to you and clear Mm -hmm. because we have this feedback system that's monthly or biweekly. And like, we're always being really honest with you about, about stuff. It might be crazy, but um, I think it could be like a really like interesting thing to help put us on the map as like this truly honest, transparent company, but it could, it could absolutely blow up in my face, in which case we'll just stop doing that. I like the sense that if you're talking about honesty and transparency is something that's fundamental to who you is it are the an agency and you can point to some examples. So if someone says to you, potential client, like, well, give me some examples. You can say, well, it starts on the inside out. You know, here are some things we're doing inside of our agency, including full transparency around salaries. You'll just have to be ready for, I'm envisioning some tough conversations. You have to have some policies in place, so to speak, of like what happens when someone comes to you and says, why am I making less than that person? You have to be ready to. For sure. It's definitely sounds hard, but like, I'm, I'm sort of, I haven't even, I just wrote this down yesterday and like, we're having a meeting to go over like the new positioning and like it put everything together. So I actually haven't even talked it out besides, Hey, I want to be transparent with salaries and see how that goes. But I do think that as long as it feels fair, like there is a reason why you're making less money than this person because your performance is here. And if we see these things change, you will get there, but it also could absolutely blow up in in our face. Like it is pretty difficult, but like maybe, I don't know, maybe it just becomes the status quo someday. I think you'll learn what type of, personalities does this work well with or not yeah and i'm guess like it you know maybe this is really obvious but it will lend itself to hiring more mature people 
because, you know, it takes a level of maturity to say, okay, I get it. I'm making, I have the same job as that person, but that person being paid more than me. And when I went and I asked why, and they told me the following reasons that to work on it, like, okay, I see and I get it and I accept that and I'm okay with it. And I'm going to work towards like, that's a, that's a, that's a great type of character, but not everyone has that character. Some people get resentful. Some people. Oh, it's, it's like an ego driven world. It would be very hard for me even. I wish you, wish you the best. Yeah, man. And, and let's keep in touch for sure. For sure. All All right. right. Thanks so much. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I want to thank Josh Cole. And one thing I will say is that Josh actually connected me with one of his uh, data specialists that I wanted to use on an upcoming job, which I'll talk about later. If you guys remember me talking about that puppy I hate, that puppy is going after it. So I'm just going to cut out here. Hope you guys have a great day or night, whatever's going on. And I'll talk to you next time.